The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, oh, you know you're in the right place because I promise you every time and I deliver every time. The buzz today bouncing back. Think about it. Do you? Are you? Let me explain. Stress. Ah, the dawn dawns on everyone. That's what she's talking about. Stress is such an epidemic that 78% of employers do the math. 78%, that's closer to 100 than closer to 50. That's a lot. 78% of employers in the 2013-2014 Staying at Work survey done by National Business Group on Health, Towers Watson, they identified it as the top workforce risk factor. The good news is they know we're stressed. The bad news is they know we're stressed, and the worst news is that we are stressed. So conventional wisdom says some people are just better equipped to be resilient. You know who they are. They just bounce back. They don't get down. They might be a little stressed, but they come back with a smile and renewed energy. Are we talking about you? While some others, you probably know a lot, who are more prone to feeling overwhelmed. Oh, my God, I had such a day. It was so busy. I'm exhausted. I can't go to the gym tonight. I'm overwhelmed. Is that you? No, we're not pointing a finger. We're just holding up the mirror. Be truthful. So if this is the case, why? That's our big question on the table today. We're going to try and solve the question once and for all. Is resiliency a genetic trait you're born with? Is it nature versus nurture. Did you get it in your genes and it's just the way it's going to be for the rest of your life? Or this is really an important question. Is it a set of skill-based competencies that you can be taught, that you can practice, and that you can use, any of us can use, as a daily life skill? Wouldn't that be just peachy? So we have a panel of three experts who are going to weigh in. And by the way, our topic, in case you haven't guessed, is radical resiliency. Start your engines, people. Yes, we've got an attitude today. And you'll find out why when I introduce our panelists. First up is a lady I hosted on a marketing day keynote a couple of years ago at SAP. She's a wonderful keynote speaker known all around the world for her leadership and her energy and her resiliency. It's Eileen McDar. If you're looking her up. It's M-C-D-A-R-G-H. The G-H is silent. She's the CEO, and that's Chief Energy Officer at the Resiliency Group. Eileen has sent me a wonderful quote from Eric Hoffer, but let me just tell you, Eric Hoffer lived from 1898 to 1983. He was an American moral and social philosopher who authored 10 books and was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom in February 1983, just before he passed away. His first book, The True Believer, authored 
authored back in 1951, was widely recognized as a classic and received critical acclaim from scholars and laymen. However, Hoffer believed in his heart of hearts that his book, The Ordeal of Change, was his finest work. And here's the quote Eileen has selected for us today. I'm quoting Eric Hoffer. In a time of change, it is the learners who inherit the earth, while the learned find themselves beautifully equipped equipped to live in a world that no longer exists. Wow. Eileen McDar, welcome to Coffee Break. How are you? Fine. Thank you. And I love that quote. I think it says absolutely everything about what's the baseline of resiliency. Because if you think about it, when someone, when you hear the learned, the learned are beautifully equipped to live in a world that no longer exists, as some guy said to me one time, he said, Eileen, PhD just means you used to be smart. <laughs> and I love that because I think sometimes we get caught up in what we think is our own wisdom, our own one way of doing something. And the mm-hmm. truth of the matter is resiliency requires what we would consider a growth mindset where you're constantly looking at how can I grow? What can I learn from this experience? And so adaptability, which is the baseline for resiliency, says in how many different ways can I respond to an event, to a situation. And by the way, Bonnie, it's not just the, the stress of being overworked. It's the, it's the stress of having technology around us, which can mm-hmm. always find us. It's mergers, acquisitions, you name it. So um, it's constantly looking, looking, looking for multiple ways to handle a situation. The biologists call it requisite variety, which says that the Mm. organism with the greatest number of responses to any situation is the one that survives. And so I want to say when we teach this kind of skill is how many ways can I look at this differently, which means I can no longer sit back and say, well, there, I've done it. I got my PhD and I just need Mm -hmm. to know more and more about less and less. We, we used to, thank you, Eileen, we used to call that resting on your laurels. Um, I don't know what laurels, somebody named Laurel feels about that. But Eileen, very good point. You're right. It's not just about being overwhelmed. And technology, great point, but I'm going to add to that. I'm going to expand it and think about social media, social networking, keeping up. How many times do you check your emails on your phone? How many times do you check Facebook, your page, everybody else's? How many times do you check if you're, I will go guardedly and say in the younger set, check your Pinterest, check your Instagram, see who's trending. See what the popular this is. Check the latest TV shows. Are you watching the right things? Are you listening to the right people? Are you following the right gurus? We used to call it peer pressure, Eileen. It meant somebody in your class in high school or whoever had a cool car and was on the cheerleader or the football team. And now peer pressure is people you don't even know. What do you think of that? Well, I I think, number one, when you said, are we constantly checking those things? We know that the human mind actually cannot multitask that way. I don't care what you say, whether it's the millennials. We know that your brain needs to focus. And without that focus, every time you're pulled away, it can take up to 15 to 20 minutes to get back to what you were originally doing. So bouncing back and forth like that is probably one of the most ineffective ways to show up in your life. Thank you very much, Eileen. Wonderful to have you. It's been a couple of years since we've worked together, and I'm delighted that you're here on the show today. So thank you so much. Thanks, Bonnie. And a shout-out to your Bonnie. You have a Bonnie on your team, and a shout-out to her. I hope she's listening as well. And now let's turn to our second panelist. He's no stranger to Game Changers Radio, but he hasn't been on in way too long. It's Bill Jensen, a.k.a. Mr. Simplicity, and I've been told that he is now a designated IBM Future of Work futurist. And Bill has sent 
sent me a wonderful quote from Captain Jean-Luc Picard at Star Trek. Let me read you a little background on the character, and I think there might be some trivia in here. Hopefully this is news to Bill. I want to hear him be simply surprised. Uh, Captain Jean-Luc Picard is a fictional character in the Star Trek The Next Generation franchise. He appears in the TV series Star Trek The Next Generation and the feature films Star Trek Generation, Star Trek First Contact, Star Trek Insurrection, and Star Trek Nemesis. Okay, here's the deal. Star Trek creator Gene Roddenberry named Picard for one or both of the twin brothers August Auguste French Picard and Jean-Felix Picard, 20th century Swiss scientist. That's trivia fact number one. Trivia fact number two, Patrick Stewart, the actor who had a background, he has a background in Royal Shakespeare Company Theater, was considered for the role of Data. Gene Roddenberry did not want to cast Patrick Stewart as Picard because he wanted an actor, listen carefully, Bill, an actor who was masculine, virile, and had a lot of hair. <laughs> I kid you not. But Stewart, Stewart, it took a team of three, including Stephen Mock and other people, weeks to convince Roddenberry, quote, Stewart was the one they've been looking for to sit in the captain's chair. Roddenberry auditioned everybody else who wanted the role before he agreed to give it to Patrick Stewart. Now, here's the quote. What we leave behind is not as important as how we live, stated by Captain Jean-Luc Picard, Star Trek. Bill Jensen, did you know all that? Tell me the truth. That was amazing. I knew chunks of it, but not all of it. Thank you for sharing. And the reason <laughs> I, I selected Jean-Luc, uh, besides the power of his quote, you know, the, how we lived, it's everything is about being present in every moment, and that's the key to a lot of resiliency. But I, it's, Jean-Luc is very personal to me and my son. Who is Ian, who is now 29, ever since he was in grade school, our father-son activity constantly was Star Trek. And I took him out of school even when he was in grade school, and we had a hooky day. The very first Star Trek movie he was old enough to watch. And every year there's a new Star Trek movie. We go and see it, and I've been to conventions with him. And he works in Binghamton, New York, which is the hometown of Rod Serling, who mm-hmm. gave the first captain of the Enterprise, his start in Outer Limits, and Ian is a member of the USS Serling, the Enterprise Group in Binghamton, New York. So uh, Ian's values, my son, besides coming from mom and dad and all his family heritage, if there was anybody outside a family that influenced Ian, it would be Jean-Luc. Wow. Well, I'm glad I could share some trivia. You and I share the fact that we both named our sons the same first name. So there. And uh, my son was back in the day a Trekkie, and he loved Dungeons and Dragons more than life back in the day. Way back in the day. We're not going to compare ages of our kids because that will be comparing our ages, and I try not to do that on the air. Thank you very much, Bill. And are you still known as Mr. Simplicity? You want to tell everybody why? That was uh, my first book, which was titled Simplicity, but I've spent almost 30 years now researching and consulting on how do we make work simpler. And 
overall, you know, it's 50-50, 50% each individual's responsibility and 50% the company's. Uh, as Sherry knows, I've spoken in SAP events before, organizational structures and infrastructures and technology owe a lot to how complicated we make things with how we build things around the company's needs, not the individual's. But that's only 50% of it. The other 50 is each of us overly complicates our days in how we communicate with each other. Most of us communicate from our own perspective. And the way to make things simpler is to listen and communicate and share and organize information from the audience's perspective. Simplicity is essentially empathy or the golden rule, working backwards from the other person's needs, not your own. And if you do that, you make things simpler. Very interesting. I know there's a, a well-known quote. I'm trying to think, and I'll find it later during the show. I used it in a blog for somebody recently, Bill. And it says that uh, most of us listen with the intention not of understanding, but of what our next reply is going to be. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. We, we listen. Another way I say it is we listen to object versus to, or, you know, versus to really uh, understand and take in. We, we listen from the perspective of, you know, yeah, but. And it's human nature, and most of us do that. We need to stop in order to really understand what each of us is saying. Thank you very much. Words of wisdom. Glad to have you on the panel. And uh, let's turn to our third panelist. Well, she's also no stranger, or neither is she a stranger, I should say, to Game Changers. It's Sherry Ann Meyer, expert for human resources, business processes, and technology at America's SAP Users Group, fondly known as ASUG, A-S-U-G. And Sherry Ann Meyer sponsored an entire Game Changers series with me last year, and I hope she'll come back for more. Sherry Ann, everybody knows, is a movie buff. She loves to quote movies. She loves to to pull quotes out of all of interesting movies, some I've never heard of, including this one. And this quote is from a movie called With Honors, H-O-N-O-R-S, 1994, starring Joe Pesci as Simon Wilder and McDreamy Patrick Dempsey as Monty. I'll just give a quick overview. Academia meets street smarts. When Monty Kessler, a graduate of, let's see, I'm hearing a lot of noise in the background. A graduate student struggling to finish his program loses his thesis and finds it in the hands of a homeless man named Simon Wilder, played by Joe Pesci. And everybody loves Joe Pesci, and everybody loves Brandon Fraser. And the movie was released April 29th, 1994. Let's stop right there. And here is the quote. Uh, the quote is, Monty says, Why did you say that I was a loser? And Simon Wilder replies, winners forget they are in a race. They just love to run. You try too hard. Sherry Ann Meyer, welcome back. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing, Bonnie? And that noise you hear in the background is garbage trucks where I'm sitting. I'm actually in San Francisco this weekend. Um, this week, I should say, on business, and I'm sitting out on a patio at the um, San Francisco <laughs> Science Center. So, And there's a piece of garbage. I'm very sorry. <laughs> That's okay. I thought maybe it was a dog. I know you have dogs at home. I thought you were talking from your home office. Okay, we will hope that the garbage trucks succeed in picking up whatever they're trying to do and get the hell out of here. Okay, Sherry Ann, talk to me. You have never brought me a quote from With Honors. I don't even know the movie. Was it popular? Tell me. Oh my goodness. 
I, I don't know that it was that popular. It's one of my all-time favorite movies, though. Um, there's a couple of movies that I don't even remember how I found that one. I think it was actually during my days of implementing SAP, and one of the consultants recommended it to me. Um, and my daughters and I have watched that repeatedly because it, it's such a great story and has such a great message to it. So tell me, what is this about Monty and Simon Wilder? And what is this? I think the message here is winners forget they're in a race. They just love to run. You try too hard. What's that message for us on our topic of radical resiliency, Sherry Ann? Well, it's kind of something I say to my kids all the time, and it's something I try to tell myself. I mean, we hear people say, it's a marathon, not a sprint. So I'm saying, go even one step further. Forget that it's a freaking race. Um, you know, I hear a lot of people complain about their jobs or feel like there might be something um, more out there. Well, leave if you feel that way. But if you really have to be where you are, I think you can find something in wherever you are to make things happy for you or better for you. Um, and you seize the opportunities in the moment to draw strength from those things, to get extra skills. Um, but you have to make sure that you're having work-life balance, too. Um, I think, you know, sometimes at work when I was in a corporation, um, I didn't always feel like I was being challenged enough, for example, and I think many people feel that way. Um, They feel they fear losing their job. But there's something you can do about that up front. You can be engaged with other people, build your network, um, have extra resources that you can rely upon if something does happen. And there's just so many things we can do to help ourselves. And I really think we're in a generation now, I hope we're in a generation now in an era where People are taking more charge of their careers and their work life um, and are really looking for something that strikes the right balance for them. But, again, resiliency is is the most key thing, and I really think that's what um, Joe Pesci is talking about when he's talking um, to Monty in this this movie. He's talking about Monty just wanting to get his law degree, just wanting to get his law degree. And he's pointing out to him, but you missed the whole point. You missed Mm -hmm. the point about what you were learning about law. So you race to get here. Great. What do you have? Thank you, Sherry, and good to have you back. And by the way, uh, do you think that millennials are born with or nurtured with, uh, let's call it a resiliency gene? Any you want to weigh in on that? I'm going to ask Eileen and I'm going to ask Bill on that opening question I'm, I posed. Do you think, think millennials have it? No. I, I think that, if anything, millennials are less resilient, um, possibly because they've been nurtured more than any other generation of young adults. Um, you know, most of them have their college paid for in one way or another. They're not working two jobs to get through. Um, I mean, they would hate to hear me say that. I think they're resilient in some ways, but I think a lot of them come into college and then into the work world um, expecting to, because I got this degree, because I paid all this money for tuition, because I got these grades, I should deserve a great job. I should have a great life. And there are no guarantees for any of us, no matter how good we are at anything. And I don't think that they, millennials quite grasp that. I think they want more. But I do also think that there's going to be a change on the horizon because I think that we're going to see very shortly where a lot of leaders are aging and they're leaving the workforce. And I think there's going to be a lot more younger leaders in the workforce in the next five years. Oh, yes. Thank you very much, Sherry Ann. Eileen McDarlane, let me circle back to you before I ask you what's in your cup. And I know you want me to ask quickly, Eileen, because you're drinking it very quickly. You warned me before the show. Eileen, 
Nature or nurture? What do you think about millennials? Let's stay on the question I asked Sherry Ann. Are millennials more resilient or less than, let's say, the boomers? I am one of them, admittedly. So what do you Actually, think? Actually, okay, so I, I, number one, um, more and more the research is showing that it is not genetic, that actually this is a skill base that we can learn. Uh, and I think what I'm also seeing in the workplace is that the millennials are coming in saying, I want my life to matter. They want to work for an organization in which they can see some kind of purpose or some kind of purpose in the work that they do, which I think is going to drive the whole work-life integration piece. And by the way, I think balance is baloney. There is no such thing. And if I can yes. go back to what, what Sherry Ann said, is that how is it that we show up? It's, it's not this race. How do I show up right here, right now? And what is my place of power? I think whether you are a boomer, whether you're on your way out or you're coming on your way in, that I think there are skills we can learn, but you first have to be here now and then decide where is the place of power, where is the locus of control that I had. So I'm not sure I could put it into any kind of uh, demographic profile as much as to say that this is something we can all learn and that it is a life skill. In fact, I coined a word called presilience, which is preemptive resilience. You practice these things every day, and like any skill, like any talent, you don't pick up a, a guitar and start playing it right away. You have to practice, 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 and resiliency needs to be practiced. Presilience. Wow, that's interesting. Is that P R E dash S I L I E N C E? I'm going to put this on Twitter. Presilience. P R. It's P R, and the rest of the word is resilience. Presilience. Oh my goodness. Presilience. Preemptive resilience. Okay, I'm a booster shot. Symptom resilience. Okay, thank you very much, Eileen. And now I can officially ask you, Bill, we'll get to you on the nature versus nurture, uh, genetic versus training in a second. But Eileen is just wanting me to ask her, Eileen, what's in your cup today? What are you drinking right now if it's fabulous? And if not, what are you planning to drink later? Okay, so first off, I'm in California and it's way too early to start drinking Chardonnay. So we'll take that out of the picture. But what I have is Lady Earl Grey tea. I was introduced to it a year and a half ago by a wonderful Australian singer-songwriter who people said I needed to meet. So we invited him to the house for dinner. When I said, what's your drink of choice? He said, Earl Grey tea. I'd never heard of it. And what I discovered, it's absolutely delightful. And it has in it the oil of bergamot, which comes from the Sevilla orange. And Lady Earl Grey, yes, Ah. she was the wife of the other Earl Grey, hers has a little bit of uh, lemon and some other orange peel and probably not quite as much bergamot in it. That's what I'm drinking. Wow, very interesting. I've seen it in the tea box, you know, when you go to a nice restaurant and they bring you a box of tea rather than just handing you the bag and they let you pick. I think I've seen Lady. Yes, I will take a look. Very, very interesting. I think there were notes. I've seen um, regular Earl Grey tea, the Mr. Earl Grey, if you will, with notes of, I think, lavender in it. Very, very interesting. It's bergamot. A- bergamot is the, is the primary taste. And actually, Earl Grey is and, just a little bit okay. stronger. And they created Lady Earl Grey in the early 1900s uh, because the people in Northern Europe thought that the other Earl Grey was a little bit too strong. Ah, thank you. I said correct, and I meant to look that one up. I appreciate it. I, I'm not crazy about the floral notes. I just like the good tea. Okay, and let's turn to Bill Jensen. Bill, nurture, nature, resiliency, millennials, any or all of the above before you tell me what you're drinking. I, I would love to agree with both Eileen and Sherry that a lot of it comes down to basic human nature and that most generations are overall the same. 
what I would say is it's less about the generation individuals within the generation, mm-hmm. and it's more the age of. So, Bonnie, as you and I were born into the age of Aquarius, uh, <laughs> millennials were born into the age of ADD, that everything is about bright, shiny objects and short attention spans. So one thing that I would say is the age, you know, we will be expiring before uh, the millennials reach their full maturity. Uh, The age they were born into is forced non-resiliency, which requires deep introspective thinking, and more just rapid short attention span change. And that is quite different than resiliency. Resilient requires you to really uh, think, you know, to be fully present versus, uh, you know, floating around like a, a bee on different things. So I would say the millennials are not many, every different than any generation, but the era they were born into is wildly different. Wow, very interesting. Very. We'll have to incorporate that in our discussion later in the roundtable. So, Bill, thank you for that thoughtful answer. Put simply, of course, by Mr. Simplicity and a futurist. We've got to get you on some of our future shows, Bill. So, Bill, what are you drinking? Simply put, what are you drinking? Hi, my name is Bill, and I'm an addict. <laughs> Since my early years, my caffeine has been cold. I adjusted to Diet Coke or Diet Pepsi, whichever is on sale. I'm not, you know, I, I buy it on the, on the corner from the cheapest uh, uh, drug lord. But oh. basically, since childhood, I have been uh, addicted to cold caffeine, no matter what time the day is. Cold caffeine, my goodness. I think you need to be resilient to withstand that. Wow. I was the uh, born in the generation where mom and dad had the the Dugan Bakery man come to the back door once a week. The milkman came with milk and eggs and butter and cheese. No, not cheese. Milk and eggs and butter and cream, yes. And we had the soda man. And the soda man delivered, uh, it was a big wooden flat with uh, bottles. The real deal. And we were a Coca-Cola family. And Bill, to this day, I think we had somebody from Coca-Cola Company or whoever owns them now on a radio show here, SAP Radio, about two years ago. And this lady sent me a six-pack of Coca-Cola, the red, the red uh, cardboard container with six bottles. I keep them as a keepsake. I will not open them, but I remember it well. Thank you very much. Yes, Coca-Cola was the beverage of the day, two or three every day after school. Oh, my goodness, but I digress. What we didn't know about liquid like sugar. snap of Coke. In the back that's of your throat. that's right, on, but we did what it. we didn't know about liquid sugar pouring down your throat and into your ten-year-old teeth in those days, Sherry Ann. Sherry Ann, talk to me. What are you drinking? One in San Francisco, and I actually had no idea that Gear Deli was here. So I've been on a Gear Deli fix. I have Gear Deli hot chocolate right now. It, there was a scoop of whipped cream on it with some caramel and some sea salt, but that's now melted into it, and it's amazing. Wow. Is there anything very special? Uh, is it a dark chocolate? Is it milk chocolate? Any special flavor you can share with us verbally? It's their sweet ground chocolate and cocoa. If they have the mix of that together, it's just so, so good. It's so rich, Bonnie. Have you had Ghirardelli chocolate? I mean, I've made it at home, 
But having I've, I've had their chocolate, fresh. but I don't remember. Uh, I don't remember having their hot chocolate. I've had. I, I might have. I don't know. I just. I'm a chocolate. Uh, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm an addict like Bill, but close to it. So what can I tell you? Just yeah, me very, too. very. Me too. <laughs> yep. How can you resist? It's amazing yes. made fresh in their store. If you come here, you must do that. That's something you have to do. That'll be my next stop. So now that we've gotten everybody's quotes and we found out their position on generations regarding radical resiliency, I have to circle back to Eileen one more time before we go to break. Eileen, please define radical resiliency. We've been tossing that term around on the table, but before we go to our break, which we have to take in the next two minutes, what is the radical part of resiliency, Eileen? If you look in the dictionary, and if I ask any audience when I'm lecturing, I said, tell me what resiliency is, the first thing they will say is it means to bounce back. You look at books that have been written, they talk about bouncing back. What makes my definition of radical, it, radical is that I do not believe that back works for the human system. It's okay if you're a, a willow tree or a piece of steel that can bend and comes back in its original position, but there is no such thing as going back. So to me, what makes it radical is resiliency is about growing through challenge or opportunity so that you end up wiser and smarter on the other side. That's what makes it so different. I told a group the other day, they just got spun up. They're going to be bought by somebody else. Everybody's freaking out. And our whole thing was you can't go back. There is no back. So what are you going to do? How are you going to claim your place of power now? Where is it you have this locus of control that you can begin to, and there's where the learned part comes, the learning part, what can you do right now so that you can grow through this because you can also reframe it as an opportunity. Thank you very much. Yeah, We're all about opportunity. Right. I've, I've done that. Right, Sherry. I, that. It is all about opportunity. You really don't know what's going to happen in life. You, I always say that everything happens for a reason, and you don't know the reason until later. Um, and I've had many bad experiences where I've been resilient and bounced back, and others where I just could not bounce back anymore, bounce forward anymore, or find an opportunity. Uh, and then it's time to move on. And moving on also is not so bad because you're moving forward. Bonnie, I'll bet you anything, because you just said, I didn't think I could do it, but I bounced back. I will guarantee you, you are not the same Bonnie when you came off on the other side. You didn't go back. You were different because of that. You cannot step in the same river twice. Oh, I I agree. I absolutely agree. When I look at my career path, Eileen, it's hard to believe the shy girl who wouldn't even sit in in a table in the middle of a restaurant at age 10 or 12 and was too shy to cross the street at age 7 is now hosting 23 different business radio series with an audience in a thousand places and hundreds of thousands of listeners a year all over the world. And I don't want to step back in that river. I like the one I'm in up to my eyeballs right now. Eileen McDar, Bill Jensen, Sherry and Meyer, our special guest today on a very interesting topic for all of you out there. I don't care where you work, if you do or don't work, I don't care how old you are, what your career path is, has been, will be, radical resiliency. It's a life skill. Get with the program. You need it to survive. The world is ADD specific today, all of us. So you're listening to Coffee Break with Game Changers Radio. If you're keeping track, this is episode number 227. What? And we are live. It's April 20th, the day after the New York primary. If you don't know who won, check the papers or tune on CNN after we are off the air. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, drinking pure, clear, filtered water. They don't let me have caffeine on radio show days, and we all know why. We'll be right back with our special topic, Radical Resiliency. Start your engines, people. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Justin, out.
comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Indeed, we are back, and we're speaking today with Eileen McDar at The Resiliency Group. She's the Chief Energy Officer, spell it out, CEO. We're speaking also with Bill Jensen, Mr. Simplicity and IBM Future of Work Futurist. I love the term futurist. I think it's... The second after I end a sentence and the period hits the world, that's the future and it's gone before you can even think about it. And Sherry Ann Meyer, expert for human resources, business processes and technology at ASUG, ASUG America's SAP Users Group. We're going to kick off the roundtable. We've kind of already been doing it, but formally we'll kick off the roundtable with Eileen McDara. We're going to start with a competency she sent me about reframing and the power of intelligent optimism. Eileen says, what can get in our way of being adaptable? Negativity, which is also a huge energy drainer. I bet the world is full of that. Eileen, why don't you expand, describe that for two minutes, then we'll have Bill and Sherry Ann chime in with their POV. Go ahead, Eileen. Okay. So remember I said early on that adaptability, with the notion of being a learner, was to constantly look at different ways to solve one, one event, one situation. So what reframing does is reframing says, how can I look at that and see what is possible versus what is impossible? And that creates intelligent optimism, not that pie-eyed, oh, isn't this wonderful, life will be good kind of notion, but how do I reframe it? <laughs> Let me give you a simple example. So, um, Bonnie, I know, and you, Sherry Ann, too, uh, probably have had those days where we get up and we stagger into the bathroom and we look in the mirror and we go, oh, crud, it's going to be a Bad hair day. Bill, you don't have any hair, so I didn't include you. (laughs) So I know, Bill. Well, here's the refrain. It's not a bad hair day. It's a great hat day. That's Uh... a simple refrain. So what? this is really the stuff that we have to practice. How do I switch this around? How do I see what is possible versus impossible? Alexander Graham Bell had a great quote that I've always loved. He said, sometimes we stare so long at a door that is closed. We don't see the one that is open. So what reframing does, it says, how can I find what is the door, what is the door that is open? If you think about, oh, the legendary story of of where post-it notes came from, here was this engineer who created glue that didn't stick. So he could have thrown that out, but instead Mm -hmm. his reframe was, hmm, what could I do with some kind of glue that doesn't really stick much? And out of that came 
a post-it note. So this whole notion then of, of reframing is, is really a place, it's really a place of, of power. And it's the mindset that I think sometimes we have to have people help us with it. Um, but, well, for example, I'm in California. I'm in a drought state. The way we, I would reframe this for California, a drought state, is we have a great opportunity to discover how many ways can we enhance our water supply instead of saying, oh, no, this is terrible. Uh, and we actually should have been doing this a long time ago. But it's a reframe. Thank you, Eileen. Great start to that part of our conversation. Love it. And Bill Jensen, Mr. Simplicity, love to hear your thoughts, please. Uh, well, well, first, I love being with all three of you. I've worked with all three of you, so I'm, I'm going to sit here and agree, you know, violently agree with all three of you con- consistently. <laughs> but I would add to uh, Eileen's thoughts, if the power of optimism is crucial to radical resiliency, there must be a dance partner, and that dance partner to the power of optimism is the ability to disrupt oneself. And from all the research I've done on disruption and innovation, and it's going to keep happening, that everything that truly matters is going to happen outside of your comfort zone. So while we can all be optimistic, we also have to recognize that uh, it's not just happy dancing, it's oh, I'm going to happy dance into this world that I've never experienced before. I'm going to wear many, many different kinds of hats if it's a great hat day. I'm going to experiment with different hats that I've never worn before, to continue the metaphor. So the, the power of optimism requires, in today's crazy world, a dance partner, which is the ability to disrupt oneself. Interesting. Bonnie, I just have to chime in because I think Bill's got a good point there because it's saying if I keep going on the status quo, I keep challenging organizations. Stop doing things the way you've always done it because you're not going to get anywhere. You have to be, and Bill's right, it has to be this disruption thing. Um, And unfortunately, what we see in organizations, we see in, in government, we see in politics, we keep doing things the same old way and wondering why it doesn't shift. So good point, Bill. Very good point. Sherry-Ann, uh, Sherry-Ann has a background in HR. And Sherry-Ann, I know you can appreciate this concept of having a dance partner disrupting the status quo. That's what Game Changers Radio is all about, disrupting the status quo, finding exciting new directions. I'm stealing this right from the description of all of our series. Sherry-Ann, what do you observe in organizations today through your work, through ASUG and previous organizations? What's happening? Well, you know, it's the people, again, the individual people that make up the organization. So what's happening in organizations really depends on the makeup of that organization and the culture of that organization and how willing people are to change. Um, I mean, we talked, you guys talked a little bit about the power of resiliency and that has to be the ability to disrupt oneself. And I think that's true. But I also think that disruption wouldn't be so awful if we kept our frame of mind open more often and were continual learners. Um, I'm a big proponent of continually learning, and that's one of the advantages of our vast technological society that we live in, that I have been able to learn informally so much and connect with so many people. Um, you know, and to Bill's point earlier, that being connected all the time can be very draining, can lead to lack of resiliency. So I think there's a balance. Um, and I think that smart people in the workplace that are in the, it's up to individuals, and I think that they're able to deal with um, the organizational changes that are coming or will be coming. They're educating themselves. They're part of the change. They can adapt well to change. 
Um, I know HR does a lot of programs that are just strictly change management. And mm-hmm. sometimes I actually find it funny because the technology that they're putting in place is actually so simple. It doesn't need education or training. And yet we still have to do all this change management around it. So I don't know. It's very interesting. I think, you know, you know, I write about ordinary leaders, and I think everybody is it's incumbent upon every person to be their own leader of their own career or their own job and to take responsibility for things beyond what you normally would. So um, I think it's up to every single person to make the organization the best that they can be. Um, and it's to your benefit because the better that whole organization, your department, your company is, the longer your job welfare lasts longer that company is able to succeed. Thank you, Sherry Ann. I'm going to pose a question to the panel before we move on to something from Bill Jensen's notes. My question is, in terms of organizations being willing to change, willing to disrupt, and the question is, does it depend on the maturity of the organization, the size, the industry, the gender or gender and or the demographic of leadership, meaning is it a young organization with young leaders? Is it a young organization with boomers or middle-aged leaders? Does it have to be a global organization, local, small entrepreneurship? Does all of this matter? Is, is there something you could make a global statement about the, the specifics of how this works or what companies it works best in? Eileen, quickly, what are your thoughts? Well, number one, I think that's a huge question to which I can't give some definite answer to. Let me just pick anything. I think (laughs) that when we are very successful, we Mm -hmm. stop learning. And so I don't care whether you're a young organization or whether you've been around for 150 years. You know, if we get into a pattern and we say we're successful, don't disrupt it, that probably is one of the things that holds us back. So we don't, you know, they're all saying, if it ain't broke, don't break it. And what, what Bill is saying, um, and actually, what Sherrianne is saying is, yeah, you do need to break it, and you do need to take responsibility for whatever you have within your own sphere of influence. So I don't think I could say it's young, old, or whatever. I'd, ha- I'd have to look at what is the pattern, and are we stuck in that pattern? Because we get stuck in those patterns, Bonnie, and we don't shift. That's the answer I was looking for. Thank you, Eileen. You nailed it. Absolutely. Bill Jensen, want to add or subtract to that? What do you think? Agree, disagree? Courageous leadership. That is the sole defining criteria. And we can debate that sometimes is the organizational leader. Uh, more often than not, it's personal leadership, but it's mm-hmm. courageous leadership, the willingness uh, to go beyond the way we normally done, do things. A little while ago, Andy Grove, who was... Uh, who was one of the CEOs of, in Silicon Valley, recently died. And he turned around his organization simply by asking, what would happen if I was fired? Who, you know, whatever the next CEO come in, what would they do? And he fired himself and walked in the next day and said, this is what we're going to do. I just, he, you know, fired himself and came and rehired himself 24 hours later. And whether it's you're in the middle of the organization, the bottom of the organization, or the top, it's courageous leadership. There, wow. I'm glad I asked the question because I'm getting fabulous answers. Sherry Ann Meyer, love to hear from you. I think that what Bill said is absolutely imperative. Um, when I've worked through change successfully at an organization, it's because I had a leader who was a strong example, um, who didn't get ruffled, who was there to coach people through it um, and, you know, be very honest and real about things. But, you know, help people work through it. 
Um, and that does make a courageous leader and one that's constantly willing to learn and change and grow. Thank you very much, all three of you. Bill Jensen, I'm looking at your notes, and here's something interesting. You say Jensen Group. That's you. Jensen Group Research found the 80-20 rule of inner knowingness. Let me read this, and you can expand it. You say 80% of us think we know who we are, but have only done 20% of the work. And Bill says true resiliency requires deep inner knowingness. Bill, inner knowingness, what is it? It's uh, know thyself. It really uh, doesn't require you know much more explanation than that. And except that in today's world, it requires a lot of work. And most of us can define ourselves as a parent, or as you know, a designer, or as a programmer, or as a consultant, or a painter. Uh, but very few of us can say, "This is really why God put me on the planet." and why I'm here to serve others, and why I, why I do what I do. And I've had the privilege of interviewing tens of thousands of leaders uh, around the world in the last few years. Uh, I've asked one, variations of one question, what makes you, you? And I found the difference between the people who are truly resilient, can adapt themselves to situations, but still say, stay true to themselves. No what makes them them. They know their story. They know their anchors. They know how they can compromise in situations without compromising their values. They know how to be aggressive about their beliefs without, you know, harming other people or other situations. So what I've discovered, you know, what I would say the the biggest challenge that we all face in this concept of radical resiliency, uh, and I think I've quoted this uh, other quote on your show before, it's the Walt Kelly quote of, you know, the cartoonist with Pogo, we have met the enemy and he is us. The very first thing is, we've, if we're going to look at resiliency, is not a organizational agility, not change, it's do I really know who I am and what I'm about? And I've lived this, you know, I'm not guilt-free here. I've run my own company for 30 years. It took me seven years to define a company mission statement, my own company, without defining it in terms of, well, we're not like them. We're this. We're not that. Mm-hmm. It really, really takes a ton of work in the ADD culture that we're all living in that is extremely difficult, but we all need to do it. Thank you very much. Very profound. Sherry Ann, love to get your thoughts on this, and then we'll circle around to Eileen. Sherry Ann? Well, when Bill was talking about that, I was, I was thinking about um, leadership training that we had gone through at work once before, and the core of it was to write your own biography. And, uh, you know, most of us wondered why, but... It's what Bill said. It's really, really, really significant to understand who you are, where you come from, and what your values are. Because when those things conflict, whether you're aware of it or not, that's a problem for you. That eats into your resiliency. Um, and so your mindset means everything here, knowing who you are, and sometimes being able to separate yourself. Sometimes we have to do things that don't fit our moral code um, or you know, the way we like to do business, but we have to do them because that is business, um, and I think you do them, but you separate yourself personally from them at that point in time. Remember who you are, and if you really can't do that kind of work, you, you learn to do something else. Um, but most importantly, I think, you know, I, I think I said to you, Bonnie, don't downsize yourself. 
don't minimize your feelings, your emotional IQ, your background, who you are, and where you came from all contributed to that. And that's you. Um, and there's, that's, I think, the most important thing to hang on to if you're going to be resilient in tough times. Thank you very much. Eileen McDar. I know you're chomping at the bit to join us. What do you think, Eileen? A lot of thoughts on the table. Well, uh, first off, I think Sherianne was absolutely right when she said all leadership is self-leadership. So that's where it starts. I don't care what your title is or where you, where you fall on a bandwidth or anything like that. So it is about leading yourself. Um, Bill's idea of self-notion and, you know, and being courageous. There's a wonderful Doug Hammarskjöld quote that came up when I was going through a particularly difficult period of my life. Actually, was was going through a divorce, and it kept resonating with me. And it and what he said was, "Never for the sake of peace and quiet will I deny my own experience or feelings." Mm. And I think that's exactly what we are all talking about: is that if we bring who we truly are to the workplace. Um, that's that's how I show up, and it takes some digging because oftentimes we are colluded. You know, we figure out, okay, I'll just kind of let this go here and pretend that it's okay. Um, I have fired clients before because it doesn't mm-hmm. work. It's a match. There are certain clients I won't take because of it, it doesn't match my values. Um, and so I think that that's part of being resilient is this, what I call, it's one of the skills, it's the last skill, alignment. How aligned am I to who I am, to what my values are, and what is the mark I want to leave on the world? Thank you very much. Great quote, by the way. And I think that flies in the face of what a lot of popular self-help psychology advice and books are saying, Eileen. You know that, where they say, pick your battles, be quiet, know when not to fight, know when to sit back, lay back, wait, don't speak your mind, don't enter into a conflagration. That's a big word, Bonnie. <laughs> just, to, just to prove your point. So uh, very interesting. There is a balancing act going on. Thank you all. And I'm going to move on. Let's see. Oh, we're almost at the time for our predictions, but I have to get another quote in here from Sherry Ann Meyer because I just love this one. Sherry Ann said in her notes to me, Bonnie, the mindset, the person's mindset means everything. And Sherry Ann had to develop little mechanisms to help her daughters make it through the time when she was going through a family disruption, a divorce, and Sherry Ann said she would sing the song, Eileen and Bill, you'll know this, from High Hopes, popularized by Frank Sinatra in the 1959 film, A Hole in the Head. The song won the Academy Award that year for Best Original Song, and the song is Just What Makes That Little Old Ant Think He Can Move a Rubber Tree Plant. Hi, hopes. Oh, I had a bad key there. <laughs> Sherry Ann. All the words. <laughs> should we should we all do should we all do a chorus here? He had high hopes. Hi, oh nobody's joining yoga. me. Hi, <laughs> Apple. I, de- I love a delay on the radio. Sherry Ann, talk to me. Mindset, high hopes. How does this this figure into your version of uh, personal radical resiliency? Talk to us. I think it's just little tricks like that that I do to remind myself and to help my kids get through tough days um, because there, there is a silver lining. There's always something better waiting around the corner, and you might not know what that is. And you have to, you don't grow unless you go through difficult times. You don't change and learn more about yourself unless you go through challenges. Um, and so, you know, there have been times when my kids, you know, just even being little, sitting around the table saying, I can't do this homework problem, you know, and, and you want to say, as a mother, you know them, you know, 
and they don't know themselves yet. And you want to say, yes, you can. And so I would just get silly and sing that song to them. Um, but I do it to them today, and they're 23 and they're 26. Um, and they know exactly what I mean when I start singing it. Sometimes they'll tell me to shut up. <laughs> but they get the point that um, they have to change their attitude towards things that, you know, things, you have to be hopeful. You always have to be hopeful because if you're not, there's nothing worth living for. Oh, and let's circle around quickly. Eileen, I'm going to get you to comment on that quickly and then Bill, and then we must give, I must save about 45 seconds for each of you for our crystal ball predictions round. Eileen, high hopes. Do you sing that song too? Actually, I do know all the words. I never thought about singing it. It's a great, it's a great example of reframing. It's a great example of intelligent optimism. And I would add one more thing. It's a chapter that I have in my, in the, the newest book I did, Your Resiliency GPS. And the chapter is called Lost is a Place. And I think we also need to acknowledge there are times in which we are just plain lost. And until I acknowledge I am lost, I'm not going to seek the help that I need. And that help could be someone else who's going to help me reframe or move through it, and there's no time period for that. So I think that's also an honest part of self-leadership. Thank you very much. Bill, quick thoughts on that? High hopes? Do you sing that too, or do you know the lyrics? I know it well. I can't sing it. Don't ask me to. (laughs) (laughs) But basically what I found for me, there's a life balance that I continue to struggle with. I have always had a very strong ego, meaning positive, as in belief in self. And I haven't always reached out to others when I should have. I just continue to believe I could Mm -hmm. tackle this no matter what. So I have, I've been overboard on the high hopes and belief in self. Uh, I remember, as I said, it was 30 years ago that I opened my own business and my, at a celebration for it. My father, who was a cop, asked me, you know, where's your security? And I pointed Mm -hmm. at my chest and I said, here, dad. Here and he couldn't understand that. So, but I've gone over. I will confess, I've gone overboard on that, and I am still at this late stage in my life learning to reach out to others instead of just believing in myself. Very well put, and that puts us right smack almost halfway through our predictions round. So, Eileen McDar, I'm going to give you 30 seconds predictions. I love 2020. How far in the future can you look, and what will change about your view? Let's do it this way: your POV on radical resiliency at some point in the future. When and what, Eileen? Go. My prediction is that I don't know much about the future. Um, that's why I'm constantly learning because I have to keep my um, antenna up in the periscope. But I do think this notion of resiliency is going to get stronger and stronger. Um, I'm concerned about the divisions that uh, that we see within our marketplace, within our world, within our nation. And I think that's going to require a new way of reframing how we do things and looking at things differently. And I think it's actually going to continue and be even more important. Thank you. I agree. I tend to agree. And I don't usually weigh in on these at the end, but I do agree. I think we have to. It's it's survival. Bill Jensen, predictions, 45 seconds maximum. Go. Two quick thoughts. First, as it relates to each individual, uh, resiliency is crucial to it. But overall, each of us are going to have to do self-management mastery. The systems that support us continue to fall away, can't be afforded. We're going to have to continue to manage ourselves much more strongly. And the relationship, second relationship between companies and employees will change. The relationship will be much more about 
people seeing companies as vehicles to achieve their dreams and goals, not just the companies. So the, the workforce is going to be much more in charge than they are right now. Thank you very much, Sherry and Meyer. I saved, ooh, 30 seconds for you. Predictions are, I'll give you 45. Fast, go. <laughs> well, I'm easy. My point of view is not going to change. I think you can tell from all the conversations we've had, Bonnie, that I feel like resiliency is a really, a really requisite trait for all of us to get through life. Um, and probably the most key thing that you can give your children is ways to cope and ways to be resilient. Um, I don't know that I've always done the best job at that, but I think that um, learning to bounce forward, learning to learn from things, um, having a pool of people that you can draw upon to keep you sane when you're going insane, all of that is very important and will continue to be important. Thank you, Sherry Ann. And I'm going to add a comment to you, your comment, and it is how can we be expert at teaching our children and the, our other loved ones resiliency when we're learning ourselves? I rest my case. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Thank you so much to Eileen McDar, the Resiliency Group's Chief Energy Officer. Keep that energy up, Eileen. We have to do part two. I'll invite you all back. Bill Jensen, Mr. Simplicity, lovely to hear from you. Sherry Ann Meyer, you got to come back and do another series with us. Thank you to Justin and the Business Channel team. And here's my call to action. Oh, you know what it is. You do it automatically every day. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Be resilient. Be radical. Go out and be a game changer today. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.